So uh, until I was 17 years old, there was one of these on the wall in the kitchen of my house. There are some of you in this room who don't know what this is, and it's this thing, um, you hold them in your pockets now, but you used to have to go like this to talk on it. Um, it was our house phone, right? And we had one of these, it looked just like this, um, <clears throat> and it sat on the wall of our kitchen right next to the pantry, and it was like the main house phone. But the reason it was important is because it was the official bill phone. And whenever my mom would get bills, the bills would go behind this phone, right? So the, bill, the phone was on the wall, and the bills would get stored right here, right? So you could always tell on, on the days that, you know how, like, at my house, the bills all come on, like, the same day? I don't know why that is. It's like a curse, right? And so, like, they would all come, and they'd all get stacked right there until mom had time to, to pay them all. And so it kind of always worked out that way, right? Maybe, maybe that happens to you. Maybe you have the place where you put the bills but that's not the reason that I remember that phone. The reason I remember that phone is there was always one envelope that was out front. There was always a Cincinnati Bell, an Insight Cable. There were, you know, there were insurance bills and there were um, hospital bills. There were all kinds of bills that ended up getting stacked behind that phone for one week or two weeks or one or another. But there was always one envelope that ended up out front of all of the others. And it was a, an envelope that wasn't a bill. It was an envelope that was about the size of a check. And on the outside, it was labeled Lakeside Christian Church. You see, the church that I grew up going to um, for a long time would send out every quarter, every month, depending on, on when it was, they would send out offering envelopes for you to bring your offering to the church in. And depending on, you know, like whether it was a campaign or a special thing or what the cool design was of the year, it would be multicolored or it would have a pretty picture on it or whatever it was. But no matter what else was happening, no matter how many bills ended up stacked behind those, in, behind the phone, there was always one envelope out front. Or maybe there were two. Sometimes it might have been three but it was the lakeside envelope. And I didn't realize it as a kid, but I, I wasn't, it wasn't that long ago that I was talking to my dad and we were talking about, about giving and about church and about all these things. And my dad told me, he said, you know that's why the envelopes were always behind the phone, right? And I said, no, what do you mean? And he said, well, your mom and I committed that the first check we write was going to be the check to church. And he said, and sometimes there wasn't money in the bank account for the check to go through. And he said, so we had to leave it behind the phone as a reminder to ourselves that it was going to clear. Whether we wanted it to or not, we had to make sure that we were going to put the money in the bank to make it clear. And all of the other bills might have to wait and everything else might have to be on hold and gymnastics and dentist bills and, you know, your bail and whatever else we were going to have to pay might have to wait. Because we were going to pay that check. I was kidding, people. I never had to pay bail. More than once. And I really started to think about the lesson that I never realized I learned, but I learned. As one of four growing up, I was probably the most hard-headed. I wasn't the most stubborn. That's my older sister. I wasn't the smartest. That's my older brother. I wasn't the most creative. That's my little sister. I just kind of was the most middle of all of them. Like, that's what happens when you're the middle child, right? <laughs> like, it's just the way it goes. 
But I really started to realize that as I've grown older, the legacies that my parents left for us and have intentionally continued to leave for us. My parents, thank the Lord, are both still living today, but they, have, they know that we're all gone and we are all grown, but we carry with them little bits and pieces. We all four live in different states. We all four have our own lives, but we carry with our parents parts of us because they intentionally imparted legacies into us. They imparted legacies into us like a love of pizza. And you all can make fun of me all you want. There is pizza at my mom's house every Friday that she makes from scratch. And I promise you, you've never had a better pizza in your life. Don't doubt me. It's fine. Like, it's cool. Like, they've they've imparted legacies in us of fun and silliness and all, all sorts of other legacies. But there are very few legacies that I would argue that my parents have imparted in us like a legacy of loving Jesus. And I have no doubt that it is full-on intentional, that it didn't happen by accident, that it's because from the get-go they sat down and they said, we're going to make sure that we pass on this legacy. Andy Stanley says that direction, not intention, determines your destination. Direction not intention, determines your destination. So you can have well-meaning intent, you can feel good all you want, you can think about it all you like, but until the day comes that you are sure your direction is right, it doesn't quite matter. And so today, as we continue in our, our ABCs of financial freedom, we're going to talk about deciding to leave a financial legacy But this is much bigger than just finances, and this is much bigger than just a plain old Mother's Day sermon. This is much bigger than just talking about dear old sweet mom. This is about you and the impact you leave on this world. You see, for the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about the ABCs of financial freedom. And the first week, we said that the first first step is, A, we have to adjust our attitude, and we have to be willing to say, like it says in Psalm 24, that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. And then we said, B, is we have to break the bondage of debt. And we said, we let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another for whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. And then last week we said that C was to choose to give, make giving back to God the centerpiece of our financial plan because we said it doesn't matter how hard you work, God will not bless you unless you choose to make giving back to God the centerpiece of your financial plan. And it's not that God is a magical genie slot machine. It's not that he's like some sort of investment promise return. It's that the simple fact of the matter is that this is the promise that God has made to us. And so today we're going to talk about the decision to leave a legacy. And we're going to talk about deciding to leave a legacy of financial freedom. And I, I admit, if you read through the Barry Cameron book, uh, ABCs of Financial Freedom, this chapter is titled a little differently, and he takes a little bit different of an angle, but it falls on Mother's Day for us, and so we wanted to talk a little bit about this from a parenting angle. Because parents, let me be real clear with you. If your children are not yet grown, you're well aware of the fact that they soon will be. And it won't be long before they're out of the house and getting a job and going to college 
It won't be long before they maybe don't live in the town you live in. It won't be long until they just come home every once in a while. Maybe if you're not a parent, maybe the, the issue for you is you're thinking, I knew I didn't want to come to church on Mother's Day because every year they talk about moms and parents and all this, and it's not me. But you have nieces, you have nephews, you have neighbors, you have friends, you know people. There are people who look up to you. There are, there are kids, there are young people at your work, whatever it is. There are people who look up to you who you can leave this legacy to. Whoever you are, there is someone in your life that you can impart this wisdom down to. And so today is the day for you to decide to leave a legacy. And the the day you decide to leave a legacy isn't the day they put you in the ground. The day you decide to leave a legacy has to be long before then. And maybe today is that day. Jesus says this in Luke chapter 6. He says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They are like the man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock when a flood came and the torrent struck the house and could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and doesn't put them into practice is like the man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. And so the the decision you make about financial freedom is a decision to build a solid foundation of financial freedom. The decision you make is a decision to say, today is the day we put our flag in the ground. Today is the day we get it all started. Today is the day everything changes for us. You see, we've been talking about this for four weeks now. Zach closes out next week with week five of of ABC's The Financial Freedom. But if you don't get this right here, none of this matters. You cannot stumble into financial freedom. I'll say it again. You cannot stumble into financial freedom. You will not luck into it. You will not happen into it. The only way to reach God's desire for you financially is to make a decision and plant your flag and get there. The only way for you to do it is to put the envelope in front, is to make a mark that says, I, we, us, will, and go for it. So there's a few principles that Barry Cameron lays out in the book um, that I want to share with you that I think are important, and they're important, important principles for you to pass down, and they're principles that we've already been trying to pass down to our boys, and, uh, and that we hope you are, are implement, implementing in your own life and passing down to the people in your life. The first is the money you have, you need to earn it ethically, right? Like, that sounds simple, but it's so true, right? You have to earn it ethically, in Proverbs chapter 1, it says, Such are the paths of all who go after ill-gotten gain. It takes away the life of those who get it. If you want the road to financial freedom, it's not in the lottery. It's not in like daily fantasy sports or uh, cooking the books. It's not uh, the road to financial freedom isn't in credit card points. The road to financial freedom is in a productive job in a good place of society, and trying your hardest to work hard 
and earn money ethically. This isn't to say, like, by the way, that you're never allowed to go to a casino and gamble and have fun, just for the record, like, I don't care. But don't ever think that the casino is the road to financial freedom, just for the record. Cool? Cool. Number two, in order to, the preacher said we can go to the casino. Happy Mother's Day! <laughs> Number two, Number two is save it, save it, save it consistently. Let's get back on track. Save it consistently. Dishonest money dwindles away, but whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow. Debt comes for one of two reasons. Debt comes, number one, because you want something without saving for it, or number two, because something happens that you didn't plan for or you didn't save for. Those are the two reasons you go into debt. But if you're saving money consistently, the thing that you want, you can either already afford to or you're already in the rhythm to save for, or you can get it, or if an emergency happens, you have savings to get towards, right? And if you're saving consistently, it's already a habit that you're in. This is a habit that we're already working on with with Abel, right? Like he has piggy banks and he knows that his money goes in his piggy banks. And every time he asks to go to the Dollar Tree, we don't just get money out of the piggy bank and go to the Dollar Tree so he can buy more toys. It's his favorite store whatever, you know, like, he's good at math, it's cool, like, he has, he knows he has to save his money, because part of life is saving money, right, it's an important aspect of life, it's something to be passed down, hopefully someday it's a lesson his dad learns from him, that part of life is saving money, right, when you have money saved, stress that, and, and, and accidents, and emergencies, and things that occur are a lot less of an issue when the money is saved and is already there. Number three is the most difficult of all of these principles, I think. Number three is spend it wisely. Spend it wisely. Be sure you know the condition of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds. For riches do not endure forever, and a, grown, and a, crown, sorry, a crown is not secure for all generations. One of the principles that we teach and that many other people teach is called the 101080 principle. And it's that we teach that you should give 10% to the church, save 10%, and live on the 80% that's left. But the thing that happens with 101080 is that when you get to the 80%, it's not as if you can just like, all right, cool, let's go to the casino, right? Like, that's not how it works. You still have to manage the 80% properly and do with it what you're supposed to do. There are still principles that God has in place and things that God wants you to do with the 80%, right? Like, how many more rules can we have with this, right? Like, I get it. But there's something that I, uh, that I joke about with people all the time when it comes to the 80% that I think is so incredibly crucial. And I gave it a title this week, and it's called The Ramsey Rays. One of my favorite things to do when I'm driving and going somewhere is, uh, if, I, if I have time, is to listen to the Dave Ramsey show on the radio. I don't know if you guys are familiar with it, but Dave Ramsey... Uh, as a financial advisor, and one of the things that people do on the Dave Ramsey show all the time is they call in, and they'll tell him their story, and at the end, they'll say, we paid off X amount of dollars of debt in this many months. You know, they'll say, we paid off $30,000 of debt in 39 months, and he'll say, that's great, you know, and, and he'll say, how much money were you making? And here's the Ramsey rule. The Ramsey rule is almost always, there's two numbers when he says, how much money are you making? I mean, I, they, they don't seem to keep stats on this because I couldn't find it, but I would love to know how many of those people got a raise 
while they were working the Dave Ramsey plan to pay off debt. Because I think it's in the 99%. Because time and time again, when Dave Ramsey is asking these people about their money situation, and they say, we paid off $30,000 in 30 months, and you know, God really blessed us, and we got four raises in that amount of time. Almost every time, the people who were working the plan got a raise. The people who were living the biblical principles of money management got a raise. Because they were managing even the 80% the way that God intended. So this is, this is what I'm telling you, right? Like, I, I, I won't sit here and say that you only get raises when you, got, when you manage your money the way God wants. But I will tell you that God blesses intentionality. And I will tell you that, that God wants to bless you. And that God blesses the people who do well with what he blesses them with. I mean, that's all I know. And so when we spend it wisely, when we manage it wisely, it, it seems like it works out well. The fourth principle is give it away. And then give it away, and then give it away, and then give it away some more. Proverbs 22 says, The generous will themselves be blessed, for they share their food with the poor. I, uh, for a long time, actually thought my family was poor. Um, I thought we were poor because everyone I went to school with told me we were. They told me we were because my shoes had four stripes instead of three, or because they said, like, attack force instead of Nike, you know, like, um, because my T-shirts had holes in them because my brother wasn't very nice to the T-shirts, and then they got handed down to me. Um, jerk. You know, like... Um, I thought I was poor because everybody else had bought their lunch and my mom made me pack. There were all of these things that happened along the way that it seemed like everyone else was wearing name brand and I was wearing off brand. And I wasn't the only one, but I was the one who paid attention to me. And even as I grew older, I got to shop at places called Value City. Um, and I got to shop on the really special places called the Clearance Rack. And everybody else kept telling me how poor I was. And everybody else kept talking about how their clothes were nicer than mine and their stuff was nicer than mine. And, and growing up, I was like 14, 15 years old, and I kept thinking, why are my parents so stingy? Why are, why are things this way? And I finally started to see, as I got older, what my parents really saw is that my parents didn't care what 11- and 12-year-old middle schoolers thought. And that my parents weren't interested in the opinion of eight, eight and nine-year-olds about tennis shoes. And that my parents, as much as it broke their heart to see their kids upset, as much as, it, as much as it hurt them to say no when we wanted Air Jordans and Adidas and all of those things, they knew that the money that they had was for a much bigger purpose. You see, because later, and not from them, but from other people, I've heard stories about their generosity. And I've heard stories about the people that they've helped and the, and the money that they gave away and the institutions and the places and the times and the things that they did, not to brag about, not from them, but from other people who were helped by them because I was wearing hand-me-down clothes and off-brand stuff. Because they knew it didn't matter when I was nine what the front of my shirt said. When there were other people who needed something else more. 
And it took me a long time in my hard head to learn that lesson. But it's a lesson that's still getting passed down to me today. And it's a lesson that goes like this, and it's a lesson about investing for eternity. You see, my parents weren't just stingy so that they could throw a couple extra, bun- extra bucks in the red kettle as they walked by at Walmart. But they were, they were investing for eternity for reasons like this, where it says one person gives freely yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. There's a story of a man named Henry And all he wanted growing up was to be a preacher. And about 100, 150 years ago, he lived and he prayed to God all the time, I want to be a preacher, I want to be a preacher. But when he was diagnosed with tuberculosis, it was was told to him, "You, you won't be a preacher. And he prayed, God, I can't be a preacher, but whatever I am, I'll work at it with all my might for you. So he got up enough money and he bought a small farm from a family of Quakers and he said, God, if you bless this farm, I'll, bless, I'll work at this farm with all my might for you. And that small farm outside of Ravenna, Ohio, became the Quaker Oats Farm. And as Henry established the Quaker Oats name and brand and became one of the largest oat manufacturers and farmers in the country and became rich beyond his wildest imaginations, the story holds true that by the time his life was ending, Henry was giving over 70% of his income to churches and and ministries across the country. Because God blessed him, and he continued to make giving back to God the centerpiece of his life. And And I know because you hear that story and you go, cool, if God makes me the leading farmer at some industry in all the country, I'll gladly give him 70% of that millions of dollars too. And my first question to you is, I can already prove to you you're one of the richest people in the world. How much of that richness are you giving back right now? Because here's the thing, and I'm going to be real transparent with you real fast. Managing money in your life is hard. Over the last couple of weeks, Whitney and I have had some really, really tough conversations about managing money at our house. Because one of us isn't very good at it. And so we've had what uh, is commonly referred to as several come-to-Jesus meetings about practicing what we preach. And we've put a stake in the ground about making a decision to pass down a legacy of financial freedom. And so we've made some decisions about making some different choices and things to change. One of the decisions that we've made is that our, our giving is going up, if that's okay with you, Whitney. Not because it needs to, but because it's the first thing we're going to do. One of the other decisions that we're making is everything else is getting cut back so that we have more room to be more generous, so that our boys see we're not stingy because mom and dad are mean, We're stingy so that we can be more generous. And so the month of May, 
2017 is a time when Ben and Whitney Stroop made a decision that their family is going to stop living the way everyone else lives so that we can see the freedom that God has set forth for us because God has the desired for our entire lives for us to be free, and it's time for us to be free. And so it's time for you to make a similar decision. So here's one of the ways for you to put your stake in the ground, for you to put your flag in the ground, for you and your family to put your foot down and say, we're going to make a decision. We've done this a couple of times before, but we're offering it yet again. Starting on June 7th, we're offering Financial Peace University. Financial Peace University is a nine-week class. It's about an hour and a half long every night or every week for nine weeks. It's entertaining. It's fun. It's simple. Uh, the $93 cost comes with a workbook and a book and a bunch of stuff that comes with it. it I, I promise you it is worth more than $93 if you and your spouse, if you and your family will commit to going through the class together. I can point you, if you ask me, I can point you to five different families that are in this room right now who have been through financial peace who will tell you it changed their life. The thing about decisions is you have to make a decision. And you have to understand that direction, not intention, determines your destination. And financial peace is how you determine your destination. So we're taking signups right now for people to sign up for financial peace. Check out this video real quick. time for you to make that decision. It's time for you to, to put the envelope in front. It's time for you to put your foot down. It's time for you to, to have the family meeting. Whatever it is, whatever it takes for you to be the one who says, let's do it. Let's make the decision. Today is that day. But I'll be very blunt with you. It doesn't matter. One single bit. Because even Dave Ramsey, even Barry Cameron would tell you that it, there is no financial peace unless you know the Prince of Peace. Because the Prince of Peace is the one who really matters. The Prince of Peace is Jesus. Jesus is the one who came and the one who came for your heart. 
You see, Jesus talks about money more than he talks about anything else, but he doesn't talk about money more than he talks about anything else because he's worried about your bank account. He talks about money more than anything because he wants your heart. Because he wants your soul. Because what he has to offer is much bigger than what your bank account can ever give you. Because he wants to offer you eternity. So here in just a moment, the men are going to pass the bread and the cup. And when they do, I want you to take that moment to remember that whatever financial stress you have, whatever anxiety you have, whatever money problems you have, whatever peace you might have, all of that pales in comparison to the promise that you have because Jesus came for your 